an abundance of counsel with other individuals, like-minded individuals, peers, comes wisdom in the decisions that we make. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this podcast. Well, before I get started, I just wanted to say thank you to all the educators that listen to the program and particularly those that have told students about it as well. Over the last six months or so, I've become more and more cognizant of the fact that some educators have actually used our content as a part of their syllabus or their class, so to speak, assigning it maybe as additional content for students when they're thinking about different career paths. And that's one of the main reasons I built the show is just really to highlight all the things you can do when you start with a background in accounting, because it really is a whole lot wider than people think. So thank you again to all the educators that listen to the show. And if you haven't yet considered using it in that way, you may want to do so. It's something that a few other educators have contacted me have done, and and it seems to be a benefit. So thank you all very much. Well, today we are revisiting a career path that we haven't covered in a long, long time. I know it's been at least a year. That path is the path of staying with the same company for many years, starting in an entry-level position, and then working your way up to the top. And in this case, that position is that of president. Jason Parr of Peisner Johnson is joining us, and Jason did just that. He started as an assistant before even getting his degree. He stayed with the company for a couple decades and is now the president of the organization. Not a bad progression, wouldn't you say? Well, what I really liked about this interview, and and you're going to hear it from Jason a couple times, is that it's not that he never thought about seeing if the grass was green or somewhere else. It's just that he was very objective about it when he looked at the potential opportunity where he was. And after doing that analysis, he realized that it was better to continue investing his efforts where he was at his current employer. And obviously, that paid off very well. In addition, Jason has some great advice for others looking to progress in a similar way. I think you're going to find a lot of value in this episode, particularly from a career standpoint. If you do enjoy and or learn something from the episode, please leave us a rating or review in your podcast app. I love it when you just take the time to hit the stars button. But if you have a couple extra seconds and you care to write a review as well, I really appreciate that also. That just helps people when they're doing searches choose to try us out, which of course helps the podcast in the long run as well. So thank you for everybody that's done that. And as always, if there's anything that I can do for you in your own career, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm very findable on LinkedIn. Just search for Mark Goldman CPA and I'll pop right up and I'm happy to schedule some phone time. Not a problem at all. I'm always happy to do that. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with this week's guest. Here's Jason Parr of Peisner Johnson. Well, hello, Jason. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. This is going to be a fun conversation. Well, for the audience, it's been a long, long time since we had a guest on the show that built their career 
the old-fashioned way, so to speak, by working their way up from an entry-level kind of role up to president. But today's guest has done just that. Jason Parr is with Peisner Johnson, and he's joining us today. He literally started as an assistant, got his accounting degree, and then just continued working his way up over time and is now actually the president and CEO for the organization. I realize this doesn't happen for most people, but I really do feel it's important to highlight the fact that it can happen because diligent effort applied over an extended period of time really can pay off. And that's what Jason and I are going to be talking about today, that exact journey. Well, Jason, before we get to your role now, and I do want to spend some time there, but I think it's important for people to understand the journey. Let's cover the early years of your career. What led you to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? And were you already at Pizer Johnson at that point, or is that something that happened earlier? That's a great question, Mark, and, and great intro. When I began school, I wasn't sure exactly what direction I wanted to go. I was married and I had one child as I was beginning my college career. And I took a personality test of all things, to just try to gain some understanding of the direction that I should go. And it gave me a couple of top choices. The top two choices said accountant or funeral director. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) what those have in common, but those were the top two for me. And so I gravitated towards accounting. And I actually began school before I started Peisner Johnson. The reason I came to Peisner Johnson in particular is while I was in school, I was servicing swimming pools. I was adding chemicals to pools, had routes every day, and then went to school in the afternoon and evenings. And I had a really close friend that said, hey, you really ought to consider at this point in school looking into pursuing some sort of position that's associated with accounting and what you're doing. And then a friend of a friend of a friend shared some information about this state and local tax firm called Peisner Johnson. I had never really heard the term state and local tax. I was familiar with paying sales tax, but I wasn't aware that there were companies that actually were in business to provide professional services related to sales tax and property tax and things like that. And so I reached out and essentially they said, we don't hire anyone without a degree. And I said, okay. But they actually called me back and just said, hey, listen, we'd love to just meet with you and get a chance to, to see where you are and, and what you're trying to accomplish. And I had a good interview and they extended an offer to start as a staff assistant. And really that's a non-degreed position. It's more of an administrative position to really just handle multiple types of tasks at the office. Okay. Sure. Administrative assistant kind of role. Is that basically? Yeah. You're, you know, you have staff accountants and you're essentially an assistant to the staff accountants. So you get just whatever comes your way by way of the work that you need to do or, or that they need to get done. Okay. That must be a great place to work because I know a lot of staff accountants who would like an assistant, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? I had no idea how beneficial I was to the team. <laughs> just for reference, because yeah, I know we'll get into this later about current times, but how large was the company when you started, like employee-wise? Or can you give us any idea? Yeah, there was probably about 15 or so employees. Okay. We, we had the two partners. We had a couple of managers, a couple of seniors, few staff, administrative personnel. And then at the time, I was the only staff assistant. 
in the office. And obviously I worked on anything a staff would give me or a senior would give me at the time. Okay. Okay. So you get this assistant role and, and you're in school, you're studying accounting. As you were getting close to graduation, did you look at other options as well? Or was it pretty much a decision already that you were going to stay with, with Peisner? I did look around uh, as I was approaching my degree. Interestingly enough, when I started there, I indicated that I had about a year left of school. And it ended up taking me three years, believe it or not. When I graduated college, I started with one child, but I graduated with five. And we had a set of twins in there along the way. And your family dynamic obviously plays a role in how quickly or how effectively you can get through school and manage your work responsibilities, et cetera. And when you're working full time, sometimes you've got to back off of the load of school, et cetera. But so it took about three years. And within those three years, we had already been discussing promotion to staff. I really enjoyed what I was doing. I was learning a lot. And that was allowing me some opportunity to move up even prior to getting my degree. So within the first year, I had been promoted to a staff accountant. And then upon my graduation, they were speaking of promoting me to a a senior accountant at the time. They actually gave me the promotion just before I graduated and said, we're anticipating that you're going to finish up and be done. So they were already treating me really well, but I also wanted to understand what was available to me with a bachelor's degree in accounting. And so I looked around and looked for some other opportunities. In my personal situation, I could go entry level to big four. I could go to some other smaller accounting firms. I could go into corporate or or private industry, but I would be starting out at an entry level. And what I had gained here was I learned that I was learning something that you don't learn in school. State and local tax, there's not really a course a school that you can take on state and local tax, but I was learning something that was extremely valuable in the marketplace, but can't be taught in school. And so essentially what had happened because they hired me prior to my degree is my experience was helping me achieve more than maybe an entry-level position at an accounting firm might. And so as I looked around across the board, it was fairly comparable from an income standpoint. And so I decided to stick with what I knew and uh, was enjoying. Okay. Okay. I'm curious. I, I don't know why this question is coming to mind, but I just, I'm you know, trying to picture you at that time. Is that a, a customer facing role? You know, as a, as a senior accountant, or are you starting to deal with customers as well, or is it all still pretty much support back office? Oh, that's a great question. As a staff assistant, and even as a staff, you're fulfilling, you're more assignment, assignment based. And so you're fulfilling okay. different assignments that are given to you. You might interact with clients, but it's on a, on a very low level. In a senior position, you begin to become more project-based, right? You start taking on responsibilities for different projects or different accounts, and then you're fulfilling assignments as well, but you're working with staff and staff assistants to help fulfill assignments and tasks related to the project. So you start becoming more project oriented and you also start building or working with a team of individuals rather than just fulfillment of your own assignments that you're given. Okay. Okay. So we're starting to get into the period where you were having supervisory kind of duties or at least in the next role mm-hmm. <laughs> you did as a manager. For sure. 
what led up to you becoming manager and, and what do you feel you were doing at the time or was going on at the time that led you to be able to get that opportunity? There's no way around working hard. And when I say working hard, a lot of times what you find in accounting firms is working hard and being able to move upwards from a mobility standpoint means that you just work long hours grinding things out. And when I say work hard, I mean, be very intentional, be mindful, right? When you understand what you're trying to accomplish for the client, what you're trying to accomplish for the firm, what you're trying to accomplish for yourself, if the focus is purely on self, you can sometimes get lost in being mindful and intentional about kind of the broader opportunity and how you can expand into that. One of the things I say consistently is collaboration builds confidence. Sometimes one of the mistakes I think accountants, sales reps, other individuals make in business is they want to kind of prove themselves. And so they're very independent and isolated in decisions that they make and how they achieve what they're trying to achieve. And I just believe even at my level now, I always collaborate in an abundance of counsel with other individuals, like-minded individuals, peers, comes wisdom in the decisions that we make. I have found that anytime I'm making a decision, when I collaborate with other individuals, I gain greater confidence in the decision that I'm making. You have a tendency to have, uh, oh, not necessarily a cheering squad, but you, but you have nods of approval saying, yeah, we think that's a good direction, right? And so when you kind of want to be independent and keep it to yourself because you want to prove yourself, it can actually work against you. And so working hard, being intentional, being mindful about what you're doing, focusing on what you're doing when you're there, especially, and then continuing to educate yourself on what your business does so you have a good grasp of it. And then I like to say work on the soft skills. I had seniors and managers when we would do our annual reviews who would say, listen, you are just doing amazing, fantastic. But I had one manager that pulled me in and said, you know, I just don't like your personality and your attitude. And I was, I was really blown away by that. I was like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, you just, you rub some people the wrong way here. And I went home, that was on a Friday. I went home that weekend and I shared with my wife what he had shared with me. And here's the thing, instead of getting defensive and upset, my mindset was to reflect. Because the other thing I like to say is when you help others, you help yourself. Always this, this we over me mentality that if you focus on others and help achieve a goal, you're going to help yourself along the way every time. And so I had to just really reflect how am I interacting in the office? How do people see me? What's my approach? And it actually resulted in uh, long-term phenomenal relationships and friendships at the firm that have continued to this day. But it was because someone was willing to say, based on some of the things that I was doing in the office, that just for him didn't measure up, right? All the technical skills and all the aspects of everything that you can do are great. But if you have any toxic baggage that you're bringing with that, then it affects other people and it affects the overall success of the firm. And so working hard, being intentional, collaborating with people. And being reflective on how my interactions affect people around me, I think led me to the ability to be able to manage people and projects to move into more of a management role. Mm. I know you 
became COO at some point and, and obviously now CEO. I'm not real clear on how the organization may have changed during that time. It, it's sort of what the progression was because I saw principal as well and, and that kind of stuff. So walk us through from manager to where you are now so we understand all the dynamics. Okay. Yeah. We were a partnership in the beginning and our original focus was on refund reviews and audit defense. That was a major aspect of state and local tax work in the early days of what we call SALT. And then we recognized that there were other services that were really burdensome to companies like understanding where to get registered, getting registered for sales and use tax purposes, just filing the monthly sales and use tax returns because you could be filing up to two or 300 returns a month based on the states and the local jurisdictions that administer their own sales tax law. And so we saw that as a significant burden. So we built that practice up over a, probably a 10-year period from just a couple of accounts to now having several hundred accounts that we file returns for. In the process of becoming a manager, I was a manager in that time when we were transitioning from mostly a recovery audit defense firm into a full services professional firm. And so decisions, where to take that, where to go, what to do, who does the work, how do we do the work, a full gambit of not just the technical aspects of the work, but the strategic efforts of the firm to grow, to develop, to to gain more clients. I really didn't move into much of a sales and marketing mindset. I was still focused on operations, on processes, and on the work that we do. And along that way, I became the manager, then I became a senior manager. And then from senior manager, uh, this is one of those moments that I think your audience should probably know that in the 25 years of my time with Pfizer and Johnson, there's probably been a dozen times that I was frustrated or discouraged and thought I was going to go somewhere else, right? The grass has got to be greener somewhere else. And again, because I don't act quickly and because I reflect and try to understand what the benefits of my situation are, I could always look at the independence, the opportunity, the the growth that I could have here and maintain that rather than moving to another company. And so when I was a senior manager, I essentially put an ultimatum out there, which I don't necessarily recommend that people make ultimatums to their employer. Sometimes employees come to us with demands and I just simply ask them to go make those demands in the marketplace and see how it goes, right? Because if you really believe you're being fair and providing a great opportunity, everyone has to see it that way though, right? Not everybody sees it the same way. And so when I was senior manager, I said to the partners at the time, very difficult to become a partner in a 50-50 partnership. And I essentially said, I really want to get into an executive level role or I'm probably just going to go do this on my own, right? That was essentially the ultimatum. And at that time, they made me a principal, which is a partner-level position. It's not an equity position, but it is a partner-level position. And then within a couple of years there, when I was serving as principal, one of the founding partners retired. This was in January of 16. And the remaining founder partner and myself became partners, and we actually changed from a partnership to an S-corp. At that time. So we're officially functioning as Peisner Inc., doing business as Peisner Johnson. And in that role, we became the two shareholders of that 
new entity, so to speak. And that's at a time when I became COO, right? From principal or partner to a more executive C-level officer in a company. And again, my focus there was completely on operations. I had grown up as a state law tax accountant. I didn't know anything else. And so from a technical aspect, I was over operations and all processes, et cetera. When I was named president and CEO, it was an interesting process because the president and CEO has to be more than just the processes and the technical aspects of the firm. And if there's anything I've learned in the last couple of years uh, serving as the CEO, it's that the CEO really has to wear the hat of CRO, the chief revenue officer. There has to be a marketing mindset until you find the individual that can truly share your brand and message and what you're about in helping you develop the marketing aspects of the firm. And I have to tell you, that has been extremely enjoyable. I really like people. I enjoy communicating, interacting, working with other individuals. And so the process of learning how to do that, both within the firm, developing the culture, the mindset, the efforts, the direction, the branding has been really an enjoyable aspect of what I do now. And then getting ourselves in front of clients that we want to do business for. We believe we do really great work and there's clients that we want to do that work for. So to be in a position to be able to handpick, so to speak, who you work for has been a fun aspect of serving at this level at this point. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious. You spent so much time on the operations side and, and now, like you said, you know, your role is is really more like CRO or there's an aspect of it. Is there anything that you've done to sharpen your marketing chops or <laughs> or your your client development skills along the way that you can point to that, you know, that, that you're happy that you did this because it's made you better in the CRO kind of function? No doubt. I have never felt that I was marketing minded, but I have really enjoyed developing our brand and our message. So I'm of the mindset, the more simple, the better. And kind of where we went, and again, so you have some of these conflicts in ownership and development and running the business, et cetera. And when I was not responsible for sales and marketing, the approach could change every 90 days, right? okay, here's the great approach. We're going to develop this approach and we're going to create a landing page. 90 days later, okay, now we're going to do this approach. Here's another landing page. And so what we found when I took on this role is that we had a dozen or more landing pages out there. We were spread out on messaging and we were moving in so many different directions that it was very difficult for someone to find us and understand exactly what we do. So I just recognized really quick that everything needed to be sourced into one website, all the information into one location, and we needed to be very clear and very simple about what we do and how we do it. And that's where we developed the, the tagline, essentially, that we help companies gain peace of mind when it comes to sales and use tax. That's just it. We help people build confidence and gain peace of mind. There's a lot of moving parts when it comes to sales tax because sales tax law changes consistently. And, it, and most recently in July of 2018, significant changes that just exploded on the market and on the landscape where companies are required to register in a lot more states than they ever had to be. I don't know if uh, everyone's familiar with Wayfair versus South Dakota, but that Supreme Court case, which is the first Supreme Court case, U.S. Supreme Court case, 
in 50 years on the subject of sales tax changed the entire landscape. It all became not about where you're located, but where your customers are located. And because most companies' customers are located across the U.S., it expanded everybody's responsibility for compliance within those states' laws. And so it's, it's been a huge aspect. So people are wanting some confidence, some peace of mind, and they really want someone that can give them some really good direction and recommendations on what to do and how to do it. And so the simpler, the better, in my opinion. We do have a marketing agency that we work with that helps develop some of our content. I'm of the mind that you get really smart people involved. You're not capable of doing everything yourself. And if you find people that are smarter than you and better than you, then you better hire them (laughs) because you just simply don't know everything. And as I said before, I'm one for counseling together, collaborating and really developing what we think would work best in these types of scenarios. Okay. Okay. I just, I always like to ask when someone brings up anything that's sales related, marketing related, because that causes, you know, a lot of accountants to, to quiver a little bit, <laughs> you know, shaking their boots. <laughs> so, oh, no um, doubt. You know, our, when I was serving as a manager, that was the scariest thing for me because there was not specific direct pressure that you have the ability to cold call, sell, and market what we do. But there was kind of an underlying idea that that was expected of you. And at the time that I was a manager, that frightened me to death. Now, it's something that I just absolutely love as an aspect of what I do. Good point. Good point. So I asked what the organization looked like when you started. I'm curious, you know, now that you're CEO, what does the organization look like today? How is it? You already talked about the service offerings a little bit. But yeah, tell us about your service offerings overall now. And then how many employees are you guys at? Yeah, so we're at about 25 and we've changed up quite a bit. We're still headquartered in Dallas, but there's only a few of us in Dallas. The remaining partner that I worked with at the time moved to St. George, Utah, of all places, which is just about two hours northeast of, of Vegas in, in the far southwest corner of Utah. And he worked out in an executive suite there. And we started to find that uh, students out of Dixie State College there in, in St. George, when they graduated, they really wanted to stay there. It's more of a college town, vacation town, and a senior living town. But it's been expanding and growing. But everybody that goes there wants to stay there. And so we actually started to expand quite a bit, and we began to move some of our management there. Um, and now the bulk of our employees are in St. George. We have some outlying remote workers from a technical aspect, from a sales and marketing aspect, and then a few of us here in Dallas who have remained. My wife is born and raised in Texas, and as beautiful as St. George is, uh, we have no desire to move there. And if there's anything we've learned through the pandemic, it's that you can work remotely. And it's very advantageous uh, for a lot of individuals to be able to do that. And so that's how we operate now. I like to say from start to finish, we help everybody answer three questions that you have to answer about sales tax. Do I have nexus? And this is state by state. Is what I sell taxable? And how do I sell my products? The answer to those questions help us gain some insight on what recommendations to make to you. So we call these nexus studies or risk analyses. And then the recommendations are to help you get compliance. So that's either to get you registered 
or help you voluntarily come forward to the state and, um, and enter into agreements that the states allow you to enter into to be able to provide some benefit to come forward and voluntarily register. We still help people defend audits. We do sales tax return compliance. So we file about 60,000 returns a year, and most of those are due on a monthly basis throughout the year. And then the refund side recovery is, is still a big part of our business. That's essentially where we go in and identify where a company potentially overpaid tax because there's certain types of items that you can buy or types of companies that buy items that states allow exemptions on. And so we go in and try to identify where you may have overpaid tax on your purchases to run your operations. And then we get that money back from the state and we do that on a contingency basis. And then we do some due diligence, right? Mergers and acquisitions are up. And if you're going to be purchasing a company, you want to make sure that they don't have any outstanding sales and use tax responsibilities that you're not aware of, that when you purchase the company, you then become the successor of those liabilities. And so you really want to identify before you acquire that company that there's no issues. And if there are issues, then you want to set up an escrow that's utilized to to offset those liabilities that you might be responsible for at a later date. Now, if you're the buyer and you bring in a company, they will exaggerate the liability. And so a lot of times the seller also will bring in a firm like us from a due diligence standpoint who work to mitigate that outstanding liability, right? If a company has a million dollars in sales tax liability or exposure, our job is to come in and get them compliant with all of those states, but don't spend a million dollars to do it. We try to mitigate as much as possible any out-of-pocket dollars that go into the state. And so we work on both sides of mergers and acquisitions from a due diligence aspect. So that's kind of the core services that we offer from a sales and use tax standpoint. But our focus is state and local tax, which in the industry is called SALT. Okay. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Well, I end every show with the same three questions, and I probably better get to those in the interest of time. One, one thing first, though, because I'm curious, given your journey, what this answer is going to be. If you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of critical advice based on what you know now, what do you think that would be? Get some education on sales and marketing, because hmm. whether you're an accountant who needs to ensure that management is aware of you to be able to promote yourself to others is important. And then to be able to promote a business or a concept within a business or outside the business. I wish I would have gained greater experience and insight in uh, marketing, branding, and sales internally and externally. Yeah, it, it really does become important as your career you know, continues to progress. Maybe not the first couple of years, but very, very quickly it does become important. That's great advice. You have to get comfortable talking to people. You definitely have to grow into that and get very comfortable with it. Definitely. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions. So we'll go ahead and get to those. The first one's usually the easier one. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Really becoming president and CEO. When I started as a staff assistant, I didn't have any dreams of becoming a leader in the firm, so to speak. But as I grew and understood the business, those became aspects of what I wanted to do. I definitely wanted to develop into an equity position and have an opportunity to lead the firm. And that has really been a proud accomplishment for me. Yeah, when you were starting your career, you were just happy to have a good job to feed five kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. 
That's exactly right. And <laughs> and we ended up having six children and we now have nine grandchildren. So the ability to see them and uh, have time with them has been amazing. I, I don't believe in work-life balance as it's defined, but I do believe in quality of life. And that can come from uh, working hard because the universe will reward you if you keep putting in the effort. It, it's bound to happen. I like to say that if you think it in your mind, you can really do it, right? And a lot of times people think, well, this idea of think and grow rich, it's not think and grow rich. It's got to become your almost 100% pursuit, right? So if you think that you can do it requires a lot of effort, action, and intentional purpose behind achieving that thing that you want to achieve. It, it doesn't just, you can't just wish it. You have to think it, but then you have to work really, really hard and keep a focus on it to achieve it. Yes, very true. It's got to be a lot of effort for sure. Well, second question, or really more of a request, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because that's how we learn from this. <laughs> Whatever level you are, don't undermine the people that you've entrusted with the responsibility. This is huge. You can be entrepreneurial, passionate. You can develop great technical skills and aptitude. And we kind of have this false idea that you want transparency all the way up to the top level. And so you want everyone to be able to access everyone. And in the end, if you entrust somebody with the responsibility to lead a team, and then you're interacting with that team, or you're undermining that person's ability to fulfill that responsibility, it creates a breakdown in trust and confidence in those individuals. And so really what I have seen firsthand in our own firm is where someone you entrusted with a responsibility is undermined by doing it for them or going around them to other individuals, either up or down, creates a lack of confidence in those individuals. And so to me, those from a management standpoint, from a culture standpoint, really breaks down morale. So we avoid it at all costs. If there's someone responsible, they're responsible. And we don't undermine their message and we don't undermine their responsibility by going around them. Hmm. I love when we get into management advice on the show because frankly, that's something that most of us accountants end up needing to learn and we're not really prepared for it through school. You know, we learn the technical aspect. But, uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Managing people is the hardest aspect of running any business. Some people call it soft skills of working with individuals, but human skills, you know, the ability to truly listen and understand the situation and then, again, collaborate to determine a solution looking to help others, not just yourself in the situation. It becomes very evident when someone's only about their own situation and they do okay and they'll do well for a period of time. But if you truly have no interest in others or helping others, then in the end, you don't really help yourself too much. That's true. Definitely. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Uh, I hate to be redundant, but it's when you help others, you help yourself. I really struggled with that concept for a while. Most people in accounting firms and other culture of companies, it's kind of a dog-eat-dog type situation. And people do advance and have opportunity and grow. But people end up not liking themselves or each other in the process. And so when it comes down to it, if you can be anything, be kind. I've never found a reason to be over the top on response or to be 
ultra negative or to be a micromanager. Helping others doesn't mean that you look over the shoulder and correct them at every moment. But truly, that's the best advice that I've ever gotten. It helps me in every aspect of my life, professionally and personally. When you're about someone else and helping someone else, you naturally develop attributes that uh, benefit yourself in the process. Mm, So true. So true. Well, thank you so much. This has been a a great conversation. I'm reminded (laughs) of a lot of things that will help me in my my own day job, so to speak. (laughs) If someone wants to find out more about Peisner Johnson, you know, just, you know, find out more about salt, that kind of thing, where's the best place? I guess, what's y'all's website? Or where's the best place to look online for more information? Just pj.tax. Oh, my gosh. That's got to be the easiest <laughs> website URL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want people to find you, simple. It's what I've learned. Yes. Wow. You weren't kidding. That's beautiful. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time out for this, Jason. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was my interview with Jason Parr of Peisner Johnson. And just really the one big, huge takeaway I have from this interview is just Jason's transparency, because I wanted to do this show to highlight the opportunity that exists when you invest your efforts in one organization and you work hard and it pays off long term. But What I didn't count on, because Jason and I had had not talked much prior to this, what I didn't count on is just the transparency and the openness and, and the honesty about the fact that it's not that he never thought about looking at something else. It's just that he weighed the opportunities and he was analytical about it. And the opportunity was better to stay where he was if he just continued investing the the hard work and effort that he was putting in. And obviously, that paid off really well for him. And and I think that's something that we all need to consider in our careers. Sometimes it does make sense to move on and do something different. But sometimes it makes sense just to put in a little extra effort or, or continue putting in hard effort where you are, because that can pay off as well. I know you've never heard a recruiting professional say that, but it really is the truth. Sometimes it works out that way. Well, thank you again for joining us. If there's anything I can do for you in your own career, please don't hesitate to reach out. Like I mentioned, I'm very findable on LinkedIn. Just search for Mark Goldman CPA and I'll pop right up. Always happy to schedule a phone call if you'd like to talk about your career. And thank you for spending your time with us. We will be back next Tuesday with another episode highlighting a very successful professional that started their career in accounting. So we'll see you soon. After all, this is Where Accountants Go.